0: Well, Hey everyone, good morning. I just want to start real quick with a quick shout out. My little, uh, what is he? he's my nephew, not my cousin. My nephew Isaiah is watching us right now live streaming from his hospital room. Uh, he's had a rough week dealing with some kidney issues, but he's watching us with his family this morning. So hey Isaiah, we love you, we're praying for you. Ready church, should you give a big shout out to Isaiah? Applaud, shout, whatever. Awesome. Uh, also, uh, this morning our usher is going to get ready to uh, receive our offerings And this is the first Sunday of the year, which I'm always excited about because, hey, it's the start. Like the last year's gone and all the goals and plans that I had for last year that I failed on. Hey, it's a new year, so I got a new shot to do all that. A couple people excited about that. One of the things uh, that God says is he always wants to be the first in our life. And he always wants the first from us. And that's the idea behind tithing is we're coming and we're giving God the first fruits of everything that he's already given to us in faith, knowing that he's going to continue to be our provision. And so I'd encourage you, uh, start this year outright. Uh, Make the decision that I'm going to tithe, I'm going to pursue Jesus, even with my finances over every area. And in 2018, I'm going to seek his blessing, and I'm going to seek the advancement of his kingdom in everything that we do. So, Father, as we give to you this morning, we're so grateful that you first gave to us. God, thank you for what you did in Radiant Church in 2017. God, it's miraculous, and we're so grateful for that. And Jesus, we're filled with faith for what you're going to do in this new year, that you'll go beyond and even farther than we've ever seen you, hoped, or dared for. And we give back to you in faith that you're going to do that in our city. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for being our guest. We know there's a lot of things you could have done, a lot of places you could have been, like warm this morning, but you chose to be here with us, and we're so honored by that. In the seat box in front of you are some communication cards. We'd love to have you fill one of those out. And you can turn it in at Guest Central as you exit the auditorium after service. Uh, We have some people there that would love to meet you, get to know you. And we have a gift bag for you as our way of saying thank you so much for being our guest with us this morning. Also, we have our revival prayer meetings going on on Thursday night right here from 8 to 9 p.m. We had our first one last Thursday, and it was incredible. Like, for those of us that were here, which was almost the entire church population from last week, the week after Christmas, they all came out and we worshiped together and we prayed together and it was awesome. And uh, you're like, well, I don't know, I don't, have, I don't want to pray in front of people. You don't have to pray in front of people. You can just come worship and agree with the people who are praying he said, well, "I don't want to get personal about what's going on in my life. We're not praying about personal things in our life. We're just praying for revival in our hearts. We're praying for a move of God in Radiant Church and in our city. So come on out. Let's seek after Jesus together Thursday nights in January from 8 to 9 p.m. right here. And then also we have our series Breakthrough coming up. And that's going to be on January 8th. Not January. February 18th. We'll be starting that six weeks long. And." Uh, we're looking for some host to open up their homes and say, I'm willing to let a group of you know, eight, ten people, something like that, come into my home for six weeks, uh, one night a week, one afternoon a week, whatever it might be, and we're... Going to be, we have books for you that go over kind of what it is we're talking about on Sunday mornings and how we can see some breakthrough in our lives, uh, in our families for the things that we're believing God for and and areas that we need to see Him move in our own personal lives. So if you can do that for six weeks, we'd love to have you do that. You can sign up online at radianta2.com. If you have the ability to open up your home and press play on a DVD player, you can host a group. Uh, So we'd love to have you do that. Or if you need help, you can go to Guest Central and we can get you signed up there. as well. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 10. We're continuing in our series, 21 Days of Prayer. And normally what we've done is we've started out every year with 21 days of prayer and fasting and say, hey, for 21 days we're really going to pray and we're really going to seek after God. And I encourage you, like, do that. That's the way, that's a great way to begin your year. But this year we decided to delay that a little bit as a church because what I wanted to do first was to spend 21 days teaching on prayer and fasting and giving you some practical tools that you can use. If we just say, hey, good news, pray and fast for 21 days and you don't have any idea of how to do that, then you're probably not going to do it or be successful in completing it. What I want is over these 21 days is to really help you develop a a pattern and a discipline of prayer and of fasting in your life. Because we see, last week we talked about one of the things that God's called us to do as his people is to pray. And when we as God's people repent and when we pray and seek after God for our families, for our community, for our nation, it says that then in response to that, God comes and that he heals our land There's a responsibility and there's a mandate that we have as believers, as the church, to be people who pray. And when we do that, we see God move miraculously. But because the church in the Western world has been prayerless, we have also been powerless. And many of the ills uh, that we see in our society are the results of the church not taking up her mantle and being those who pray to see God intercede on our behalf. So that's what we're doing. That's why we're doing this. We want to become the church that Jesus has called us to. We want to do the things he's called us to, which is praying, so that the people around us in our city and in our nation can receive the blessing that God will pour out in response to the prayers of his people. And this week, um, what I want to talk about is, if you've ever prayed before, for more than one day, you've probably had unanswered prayers. And... You may have come up against things where you've really been believing. You believe that God spoke something to you that he wanted to do. You've been praying for something that you know is according to God's will, but you keep running up to something where you're not able to push through it. It feels like you're unable to do what it is that God has called you to do or or you're praying for to see God do. And this is something that happened to the disciples as well. And this morning I want to talk about what it was that the disciples came against and how it was that they were able to push through that. And it begins in Matthew chapter 10, right in verse 1. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. When it says impure spirits, what it's talking about is demons. Uh, Demons are real, they are angelic beings that were created to worship God and to serve him, but when Satan rebelled in heaven, it says that one-third of the angels joined Satan in his rebellion and they were kicked out of heaven, those are now what we refer to as demons. And as uh, opposed to the angels were ministering spirits, they were supposed to minister to humanity and to minister to Jesus, now they do pretty much the opposite of that. They're trying to bring destruction and bondage inside of our lives. And Jesus is saying that now I want you to go out. I'm giving you the power and the authority to, to break the bondage that demons have over people and also to heal sickness and disease. And then he says, uh, and to the next verses, I'm not skipping over them because I don't want to teach on them. They're just the names of the people and who their dads were. So we're going to skip down to verse number seven where it says, As you go, Jesus is speaking to them again, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. And when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven has come near, that's something that's referred to in the Bible as uh, sometimes they say just the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. These are all speaking to the same thing. And uh, what it is is this. Every king rules over a kingdom. That means that it's the sphere of influence that they have. It's the area where their will is is exercised. It's the place where they have authority over what happens inside of. Us. So that's a king's kingdom. And what Jesus is saying is I want you to go and I want you to proclaim to people that the kingdom of heaven has now come near to you that you might live under the kingdom of whatever emperor was currently reigning at the time. Uh, We might live under the, the president that is currently going at this time, or whatever age you're in, whatever land you're in, it doesn't matter. There's someone that has authority to rule over you. But what Jesus is saying is to go to all of these people, and I want you to say to them that there's good news that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has now come near to you. It's not just something that you're hoping for, that maybe someday I'll die and then I'll be able to be in a place where we don't just see all of the evil that we see in the world that's around us, but that I'm finally going to be in the place where God reigns and rules. Jesus is telling them to go out and tell people that day has come, that you are now living in the time where the king of the kingdom of God has come to you. And if the king is there, then that means that his kingdom has come with him because now he's exerting his rule and his reign and his will over the places where he is. And that's why he says, I want you to cast out demons. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. These are all things that are a part of the kingdom of God. Kings aren't good at uh, being resisted. Have you ever noticed that? If a king tells you to do something, you do it. They have authority and they have power over you. Jesus has authority and power over the sick. He has authority and power over the demonic. He has authority and power even over death itself and is able to bring the dead back to life. Now, at this time, what would happen was every time a nation would come and conquer you, which was a part of how everything happened, there always be someone that come and make this pronouncement of, good news, you now have King so-and-so who's reigning over you and he's going to bring you prosperity and he's going to usher in a new era of peace and your life is going to be so much better now because of this ruler. That never actually happened. But now what happens is we see the pronouncement of the coming of King Jesus and his kingdom coming to earth. And he's not just saying, I'm going to lead you into these other things that are going to be good for you but I'm going to show you that I actually have the power to do it. Sickness is a problem for us? Well, good news. I can heal the sick. And oppression from demonic forces? Good news. I have power over the demons. Dead? We all run into that problem eventually. Good news. <laughs> I can raise the dead. I'm the one who's able to give life. That's the greatest enemy that any of us have. It's the one thing that none of us can figure out. We go to the doctors when we're sick and they're able to help us get better. Uh, When we have different issues, there's different things we can go to, but there's no cure. There's no one who can help us in death. But Jesus says, I want you to demonstrate to people that I have power even over death itself. I'm the God of life and I overcome the power of death. It is not an enemy that is so strong that it can resist me or stand up against me. Now, this is doing a couple of things. Number one is it's demonstrating that this guy isn't crazy. Like Everybody claims to be king or claims to be God, but when you start healing people and casting out demons and raising the dead, your argument has a little bit more credibility. So there's signs and wonders that point to the fact that the king and the kingdom is here, but it's also a preview for us of what life is going to be like when the fullness of the kingdom comes. Jesus didn't create us to be sick. You don't look at Adam and Eve before the fall, and you don't say, and they had the sniffles, and then they got the flu, and then they got the flu again, and then it came around the third time because their kids kept getting sick and passing it around their household. That wasn't a part of the way that God created us to be. God didn't create us to be ruled over, held in oppression and bondage by demonic spirits. He created us to be filled with and led by the Spirit of God. He didn't create us to die. We were never supposed to die. All of these things are the result of our own sinfulness and the way that it has distorted and the way that it has tarnished the good world that God has made. But the King, when he comes, when his presence comes near. His will is exerted. And when his will is exerted, it means that the sick are healed. When his will is exerted, those who are in demonic oppression and bondage are set free from it. When his will is exerted, the dead are brought back to life. Anytime we see a miracle, this is what's happened, is that the king has come near and he has exerted his will into our time and into the age that we live in. And it's a preview of what the fullness of his kingdom will look like. Because our king is coming again. And when he returns, sickness will be no more. It's not that we will need to be healed, there will be no more sickness. It's not that we will need to be set free from demonic oppression, there will be no more demons. It's not that we will need to be raised back from the life, death will be defeated and thrown into the pit. We won't die, we won't get sick. It says that he's going to dry every tear, no more suffering, no more hurt. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Because that's the world we were created to live in, it's the world our hearts were created to live in, and it's the world that Jesus is restoring. But the king has come, and with it has come his kingdom. Now it goes down, they go out, and they start proclaiming the message, they start demonstrating the culture of the kingdom, what God's will is, as well as the power that the king has and they're quite successful at it for a while, and then it says in verses uh, starting in verse fourteen. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. "Lord, have mercy on my son," he said. "He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into fire or into water, and I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him." Now, this son has been uh, severe demonic oppression going on in his life. It gets really bad when every time a child gets near a fire or near water, the demon makes them seize up so that they fall into the fire to burn them to death or they fall into the water to drown them. Can you imagine, as a parent, the constant pain and the constant fear that you would live in seeing this happen to your child and knowing that there's nothing that you can do about it? But then Jesus comes. Then the disciples come and and they see them casting out demons and so the the faith of the Father is stirred up and he brings his son to them to have him healed. But something happens. Whereas everybody else is getting healed and everybody else is being set free from demonic oppression, the disciples pray over this child but nothing happens. Have you been in that place? God, I know what you call me to do. I'm doing it. God, you've been using me to do this thing. I've been seeing it happen. And then I go to do it one time. Nothing. What happened? Why? We start thinking, well, maybe I did it wrong. Do it again. Maybe maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe, I mean, if you're Bartholomew, you think, maybe he's talking to Peter. I was standing next to Peter. I thought he was looking at me, but he was talking to Peter, giving him power and authority to cast out demons, and I didn't realize he wasn't talking to me. Maybe it, was for a different, maybe it was for three days ago. It's not for today. Maybe, like, we start coming up with, why isn't this happening? Why am I not seeing what it is that God's called me to do, or what I've been praying for, what I've been believing for? And so this is what happens, is the, the, the Father calls out the disciples. Like they, they level jump the disciples. He goes to Jesus, Hey, these idiots you have, they can't, they can't help my son. Like, I know that you told them to do this, but they're not doing their job, Jesus. Like, I would love to see the expression on the face of the disciples. Like, seriously, you sold me out like that? I would have prayed the fourth time. It would have happened. You're just not giving me enough chance to, like, you got to work with me on this. But they go sell out the disciples to Jesus. And it says this this is Jesus' response. I love this. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. You usually don't see those bumper stickers. Jesus said, you're a wicked and perverse generation. How long must I put up with you? My life verse is going to become, how long must I put up with you? Blessings, Jeremy Brown. But... I mean, this is a lot of frustration. You don't just say that unless you're really frustrated. Imagine if you've ever had kids, Dad, 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 How long must I put up with you, child? You wicked and perverse generation. Like, that's a lot of frustration that's coming out of Jesus. Why is Jesus so frustrated by this? Two reasons, I think. Number one is because Jesus looks at the child, sees the demonic oppression in his life, and a righteous fury and anger rises up inside of him. This is his child. It's not really the father's kid. This is Jesus' kid. Jesus is letting the father take care of him for a while, but that child was created by Jesus. That child was created for Jesus. Jesus has plans and purposes for him. Jesus loves him and is broken for him. And so when he looks at his child, who he loves... Who he's going to give himself for, and he sees that instead of living in the freedom that he was made for and living out the purpose and the, the uh, destiny that Jesus had made him for, to see him wracked by demonic oppression, breaks the heart of Jesus and stirs up anger inside of him at the demonic influence that's happening. Like you mess with someone's kid, you're in trouble. Like I'm pretty nice. You say something about my kids. And like I'm gonna have to remember that like turn the other cheek verse real hard. Like you might have to remember it because I love my kids, and nobody messes with you guys. Are like oh my gosh, you all don't have kids. You don't mess with someone's kid. You don't mess with Jesus' kid. And if you do, you can expect a righteous anger and fury to rise up inside of the person who is parenting them. Second reason, because Jesus provided a solution for this child. What did Jesus do? He knows that there are people who are living in bondage. It broke his heart so much that he gave up the glory of heaven to come down to us. He comes to us and he empowered these 12. He called them together. You're my disciples. Here's the thing. I'm giving you the power and the authority to cast out the demons. I'm giving you power and authority so that you can heal the sick. I want you to go out there And I want you to proclaim that I have come, that the king of heaven is here, and I want you to exert my will and my power on all of the hurt and the lost and the broken. He gave them the power, he gave them the authority, he gave them the command, and they didn't do it. It's not only is he mad that the kid finds himself in this situation, that his son is suffering, but he's mad because he provided a solution and it wasn't being done. What Jesus says specifically about the disciples, and, and this can speak to us, because even though it's easy, like, those disciples are so dumb, they're so bad. Jesus, you should have used me. Like, I can identify with the disciples really well in this. This can speak right to us, and it does speak to us. It speaks to us for sometimes why we don't see what it is that God's called us to do, what it is that God's empowered us to do. Jesus addresses it. He says these two words about why the disciples have run into this roadblock. He said that you're unbelieving. You're an unbelieving generation, and that means that there's a lack of faith or belief in someone or something, and it especially relates to the gospel. There's a lack of faith in the King Jesus. There's a lack of faith in the message that he preaches. There's a lack of faith in the power that he gives us. And when there becomes a lack of faith inside of us, when unbelief creeps into our hearts, it's because of this reason, and it's that we're disconnected from God. Every time we're filled with unbelief, The root issue that it goes back to, Jesus is saying, is that there's unbelief in me. You've become disconnected from me. The reason that you have faith in Jesus is because he revealed himself to you. Really, if you were to try to just explain the gospel and try to, through logic and intellect, convince someone of the gospel message, it's stupid. So you're telling me there's a God, that's three people, but he's one being. All right. Hash bash came early this year. (laughs) You're telling me that we're so wicked and that we're so depraved and we're so bad, but God loves us so much anyways that he would come. If I'm such an enemy of God, why would he come and why would he lay his life down for me? That doesn't make sense. That's improbable. You're telling me that all I have to do to become right with God, I don't have to do something, I don't have to try to make myself right, I don't have to try to earn salvation, I just have to ask for forgiveness and put my faith in him and decide that I'm going to surrender my life to him and I'm going to follow after him all the days of my life and I'm saved? Yeah. It honestly seems kind of stupid. But someone preached that to you one day, And it wasn't just that these words were so convincing to you. It's that God revealed himself to you. When you heard that, these words became powerful. They became alive inside of you. And it wasn't that you thought, oh my gosh, logically this just makes so much sense. It's that God spoke to your heart. The God of heaven, he began to burn inside of you. And a desire to follow after him was stirred up. You didn't realize that you were sinful because someone said you were. You were you realized that you were sinful and that you rebelled against God and needed his forgiveness because he revealed himself to you and he was so beautiful and he was so good, so holy and pure and just that when you compared yourself to him, you realized how different you were from him. And in that moment, your heart was broken. You said, Jesus, thank you for your love. God, thank you for the forgiveness of my sins that you would go to the cross I put my faith in you. I believe that you are God. I believe that salvation is in you, and I'm going to follow after you every day of my life. We came to that point because God revealed himself to us. He came, and he connected to us. It was him that convinced you of his claims. It was him that made the gospel message beautiful to you. Because he connected to you. It stirred up faith inside of you. That's where faith was born, was because God connected to you. So you believed. And that's the way that you were created to live. Every moment of your life is connected to God with faith continuing and belief continuing to stir up inside of you. But what happens so many times is life happens. We get busy. We get distracted. And instead of just being connected to God and keeping our eyes on him, we start to get disconnected. It's busy. I don't have time to spend with you. And all these other things are happening. And when you remove yourself from connection to God, now instead of being filled with faith, doubt starts to come in. Now instead of being filled with faith, you start to have questions Instead of being filled with faith and belief and who Jesus is and who he's made you to be, who he's called you to be and the things that he's called and empowered you to do, you start to wonder, can I really do that? Is that possible? Did I, even, did I hear God wrong on this? And so many people end up even just walking away from their faith because what stirred up faith in their heart in the first place was connecting to God. They disconnect to God and they end up disconnecting from faith. It's the example of Peter. I love this because you see it in just one screenshot how fast this happens. They're out in the boat. Jesus says, I'm going to catch up to you. I'm going to go pray for a while, you guys. Go on the other side of the Sea of Galilee on your boat. I'll catch up. And they're probably like, how? Well, whatever, it's Jesus. He just do what he says. And so they go out in their boat, and in the nighttime, they're, you know, sailing across the lake. Here comes Jesus, walking across the water. And it says that he passes them by. Not even like, hey, guys, like, let me in your boat. How's it going? Had a good prayer meeting. Like, he's just like walking on by them. See you guys on the other side. they are like, what, Jesus? Like, is that you? Who else is it? I mean, who's it gonna be? No, I'm Larry. That would have really freaked me out. Peter's like, if it's really you, call me out on the water. You better really hope it's Jesus if you're about to step out on your boat. Jesus is like, come on. So what happens? Peter connects to Jesus. In an instant, faith and belief is stirred up inside of his heart that he can do this thing that Jesus has called him to. How many can walk on water? I can't. Used to try as a kid all the time, run from like, the pool deck into the pool. Never happened. I don't think it happens for you either. And if you do, like, you can preach. I'm going to sit down. You have a word for us. But because he's connected to Jesus, this impossible thing that Jesus called him to do, he had faith and belief that he could do it. He steps out of the water. Imagine that. You're taking a call. Oh my, you, you other disciples are weak. Look what I'm doing. I told you I was the best disciple. You're going to write a book after me. He's walking on the water. He's able to do the impossible that God called him to do. Why? Not because he's Peter. Not because he has webbed feet. It's because he is filled with faith in response to his connection to God. Then what happens? In just an instant, he starts looking around at the waves. Oh, my gosh, what am I doing? You've had those moments. You're on a roller coaster. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It starts climbing the hill. What am I doing? Why did I do this? This is so stupid. Your faith just drops in an instant. This is what Peter does. Disconnects from God. Instead of looking straight at the face of Jesus where faith is stirred up inside of him and belief is birthed inside of his heart, he starts looking around. He disconnects, and he begins to sink. And he cries out and says, Jesus, save me. And Jesus reaches down and pulls him back out and gets him back in the boat. Why did you doubt Jesus is saying, why did you disconnect from me? Unbelief came into your heart. You could have done it. You were walking on water because you believed. I'm not saying go home and walk on water because you believe you can do it. I'm saying believe what it is that God speaks to you. But as soon as you turn away from it, (sighs) Peter did the right thing, though. When his faith faltered and he realized, he cried, Jesus, save me. And Jesus did a lot of people don't do that their faith falters and instead of crying out Jesus save me they just let their faith go under the waves and it perishes this is the picture of faith and the way it works inside of us belief is stirred up by connection to God When we're connected to him, when we're living an intimate, deep relationship with him, we're filled with faith and we can do everything that he's called us to, everything that he's empowered us to. But the minute we begin to doubt it and it happened for the disciples at some point along the way as they're praying for people, maybe it's that they looked at it and said, this one's too hard. This demon is crazy. He's throwing kids in fire. Like, I I can't do that one. That's too big, that's too powerful. Instead of, Jesus told me to do this, Jesus gave me power and authority to do it, there's no demon that's greater than Jesus, and it's not dependent upon me anyways. I just believe that Jesus can do what it is that he said that he would do. And if they had had that attitude, they would have cast that demon out. But at some point, maybe it was in the busyness, there's people all over the place we're having to heal people, we're having to pray for people, and somehow they became disconnected from God in the busyness and in the demands that were on their time. And unbelief crept into their hearts. And the second thing that Jesus says is that you're perverse. And what perverse means is that it's, it's become actively deviating from truth. It means that there is truth. The truth is that they could cast out demons. The truth was that they could heal people. But somehow they began to deviate from that truth. And what perversion is, is the deviation from truth, but it's also meaning that the reason why we become perverse is because we're too connected to the world. See, the disciples were full of unbelief because they were disconnected from God, but they had perversion inside of their view of truth because they become too connected to the world. Well, I can't cast out this kind of demon because... You know, like I tried and you know, empirical evidence states that I wasn't able to do it, so it must be that I'm not able to cast out this kind of demon. Uh, and, And so they look around and they begin to start to define truth or reality not based on what it is that God has said through connection with him, but they begin to define reality and truth based on their experiences, based on their culture, based on the things that are around them. And that always comes from unbelief. You see, unbelief and perversion work hand in hand. Unbelief causes It comes from the disconnection from God. You become disconnected from God, and now instead of knowing truth from Him, you start looking to truth from somewhere. You start trying to find it somewhere else. And instead of knowing the truth of what God spoke to you, you begin to alter it. You begin to deviate from it. That's what every perversion is. It's a a departure from truth. It's a twisting of truth. And this is how it works. They always go hand in hand. When my wife and I got Married, uh, you know, like, like faith was born and stuff. Our love is eternal. It's forever, forever. Like we are always just be passionately in love. And we spent a lot of time together. Then we started working two different shifts. I'm working first shift. She's working second shift. So we're away from, I leave at 8 in the morning and she gets home at 1 a.m. So there's like 7 hours a day and we have to sleep at some point. So what happens is there, we're disconnected from each other. When I'm disconnected from her, I start to pervert what truth is. The truth is, is that she loves me wholeheartedly, completely committed to me, 100% committed to our marriage. But when it's 2 a.m. and she's not home yet and I can't get a hold of her on my phone, you know what my thought was? It's like, There's some hot doctor at work. Oh, I hate that guy. He makes more money than me. He probably works out. He's probably not like ghost white like I am. Oh, no. Like, she's, they're probably having a coffee or maybe they went to a bar. I'm like... Yeah. Like That wasn't a common thing, but every now and then when it's 2 a.m. and your wife was supposed to have be been home an hour ago and she works with hot doctors, like you start to wonder, because <laughs> disconnection came in, which allowed me to pervert what reality is and what truth is. Reality is, she is 100% committed to me. We, she was just at work saving people's lives like nurses are supposed to do. And I'm like, those hot doctors. <laughs> it was a perversion of truth that came from disconnection from her. That's what happens with us in our faith, we become disconnected from Jesus, which allows perversion to come in in the way that we view him or the reality that he's defined for us. So this is what happens. Is the disciples, they're like, man, we got to figure out what's going on. So it continues in verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, well, they didn't do it in public. Like, they're like, all right, come here, Jesus. Over here. Like, what's going on? Like, how come we couldn't do that? And he says this. He says, Because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind comes out, never comes out except by prayer and by fasting. Jesus says, The problem that you have is that you don't have faith. If you had had faith, just a little bit, just the size of a mustard seed. The mustard seed's the smallest plant; it was the smallest seed that they had in this country, but it produced the biggest of all of the trees or bushes that they had. Jesus didn't say, "If you have faith the size of a mountain, you can move the mustard seed." He said, "If you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to the impossible, and it's going to happen." Hanging out with Britt Hancock one time, he's this crazy wild missionary in Mexico. The best stories you will ever hear. Buy his book. What's this book called? I don't remember. It's a really good book. Britt Hancock. <laughs> it's that good, people. And uh, and then it, he tells me the story that I later read in his book. We're sitting there and he's telling me about all the miraculous things that he's seen happen. I'm like, how do you see this happen? He said, I was like, we don't see that happen in the church in the States. Like, I don't know any church where you've seen these kind of things happen. Like, you're telling me about happening in the in the villages of Mexico up in the mountains. And he said, it's like this, Jeremy. And he, we're sitting in a green room at a conference, and he pulls out a gummy bear, and he's like, I want you to imagine this is a seed. And I'm like, oh, I'm way ahead of you. I want a gummy bear tree. Like, I got faith that I can have a gummy bear tree, and I will reap a harvest. He says... If this is a seed, even though it's small, does it have all the potential in the world to produce a large plant, a large tree that grows and that produces fruit? Yeah. Yeah, why? So everything it needs for life is contained in this little gummy bear. Then he takes this massive knife out. I didn't know he had it. I didn't know he could carry it at a conference. He cuts it in half. Now can this seed produce that same life and the same fruit? No. Not? Well, you cut the gummy bear's head off, psycho. No, I, I said, well, it, it, it's not viable now. This seed can't produce life. He said, exactly, that's the way faith works. You can have just a little bit of faith If that little bit of faith is pure, it's all in Jesus. It's all in what Jesus said that he would do. You don't need a lot of faith. It just has to be pure, and it contains everything inside of it that it needs to produce everything that God said that he was going to do. But when we take that seed and we split it in half and say, okay, God, I got 75% faith in you and 25% faith in my 401k, You are my provision and so is it. I don't have to worry as long as my 401k is doing okay and I trust you too. That's not faith in God. You said, okay, God, I, I believe that you're going to be able to lead me into the path that you've called me to, so 50% of you and 50% of it is going to be, I need to get this degree at this school, and then I'll actually be able to do what it is that you've called me to do. I know I won't be able to go to church, and I know I won't be able to you know, follow after you or you know, tithe, and I won't be able to do all these other things, but you know, I, 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 got, I got some faith that this degree that I'm pursuing, and you, and you, you know, will be hand in hand, are going to be able to lead me into what it is that has called me to. It's not faith that can produce anything. When you divide your faith, it becomes invalid. It loses the potential to produce life and to produce fruit inside of you. When you have just a little tiny seed of faith that's pure. And that's what it was that was planted in you when Jesus called to you. And you said, Jesus, I believe your faith might have been tiny, but it was pure. It was only in Jesus. And everything that was needed to produce the life that God had called you to, where you could speak to impossibilities because he had called you to them, that was all contained in that little tiny seed of faith that was in you. But so many times we become disconnected from God. We become disconnected from God. We pervert truth and we start thinking that I have to split my faith between Jesus and something else to get where it is that I want to go. But that keeps us from ever doing anything. We'll never be able to do what Jesus called us to as long as we're splitting our faith. It's all or it's nothing. Jesus says, you couldn't do the very thing I called you to. You couldn't do the thing that I empowered you to. You had everything. The seed of faith was there. You had my mandate and you had my power to do it. It was all there. But at some point, your faith became dead. And then he gives us the antidote. Why does this happen? Because we're unbelieving from being disconnected from God and we have perversion because we're too connected to the world. And Jesus says this is the antidote. This kind, this comes out only by prayer and by fasting. This is the antidote that Jesus gives to us for unbelief. What prayer does is it connects you to God. You know what the priority of prayer is? It's not to see God answer our prayers, the petitions that we have. The priority of prayer is for us to connect with the living God. The priority of prayer is for us to grow in our love for Jesus. The reason why I talk to my wife when she gets home from work isn't because I'm like, hey, uh, so I'm really bad at ironing, and uh, I have to have this shirt ready for tomorrow. That's not the basis of my relationship. It's nice that that happens sometimes, but I just want to talk to her because I want to encounter her. I want to know her. I, I have a desire for relational connection to her. It's that way for us to pray with God. Prayer connects us to him. When we pray, it's a miracle when we see the sick healed. It's a miracle when we see financial provision. It's a miracle when we see all of the answers to our prayer. But the greatest miracle that ever occurs when we pray is that we get to talk to God and we hear him speak to us and we enjoy time in his presence. That's the miracle of prayer worth more clap than that. And that's available to every one of us. We can live a life connected to God when we pray. And then he says this other thing. Your problem is that you're, you're not connected to me. So the antidote to that is prayer, which will connect you to me. And then he says, but you're also perverse. You're too connected to the world. So you want how you get unconnected from the world? You fast. Fasting, what that does is it disconnects us from the world. why so we fast things like food. I love, like, there's, if I'm looking at the scale, this is how much of the reason why I eat is because I need nourishment to survive. This much is because I love food. Like, I I, mean, I put a lot of time and thought into it. I read magazines and blogs. I buy probably 10 cookbooks a year. Like, I love food. I have a king, and his name is Tummy, and like, he growls his commands at me, and I obey so I need to fast food every now and then to remind myself that I, my life isn't found in bread alone but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's where I find my life. I need to turn off the TV. I need to stop getting on social media. I need to put my stupid phone down because all these hours of my day where I'm just being exposed to what the world thinks, to what the world thinks reality is, to what the world thinks truth is. Oh my gosh, look what's going on with North Korea. Oh my gosh, look what's going on in Iran. Oh my oh my gosh, the Zika virus. Like we get all scared over everything and we become we disconnected from God and truth gets perverted for us because we're just looking around at the world and what culture dictates and tells us. So how do we get disconnected from the world? By disconnecting from it through fasting. Saying I'm not seeking after the pleasure that comes from food. I'm not seeking after entertainment. I'm not seeking after all of these other things that would distract me. I am seeking after King Jesus and relationship with him because I want him to be the one who defines reality and truth for me and he alone can do that. We're unbelieving and perverse. There's your bumper sticker. Tweet that. But Jesus has the solution. Pray and fast. And when you do that, faith is going to be born inside of you. Here's the example. I'll close with this. Because we all find ourselves in this place. The Apostle Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus. He was doing everything that he could to follow after God, but he was disconnected from God in his pursuit. And because he was disconnected from God, he became so perverse in his thinking and his understanding of what truth was that when God came, he missed him. Not only did he miss him, but he thought Jesus was an imposter. He thought that Jesus was someone that needed to be persecuted. He thought that Jesus was someone that was a blasphemer of God. Best intentions, trying to follow after God. But the disconnect caused unbelief inside of his heart, which led to perversion. In fact, he was really good at killing Christians. He had become so disconnected from God and so perverse in his thinking that he thought he was serving God by killing Christians and trying to stamp out the church. It's about as, like, you really missed it. Like, you can't get much more off the mark than that. What Paul, what would Saul deserve? A like, disciple, like, Jesus, should I call down fire on him to consume him? That's what he deserved. Jesus doesn't want to give us what we deserve. He wants to give us what we're worthy of. Those two things aren't connected. What you deserve and what you're worthy of are not the same. We make it that way. We think that you're worthy of what you deserve. That's not the case. We might deserve God's wrath and punishment because of the way that we've rejected him, because of the sin that's been in our life, because of the way that we've destroyed his good creation and other people and creation itself. We might deserve God's wrath for that, but it's not what we're worthy of. We're worthy of his love. We're worthy of being sons and daughters. And the reason why we're worthy of that is because it's what we were made for. He created you to be a son. He created you to be a daughter. He created you to be a vessel, the temple of the living God in which his spirit dwells. He created you to host his presence. That's what you're worthy of. We might do things that deserve something different, but we are worthy of his love because he created us to receive it. So Jesus comes to Saul. As Saul's on the road to Damascus to round up more Christians to kill them, Jesus appears to him in blinding, glorious light. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In that moment, Saul has the revelation I was completely wrong. I thought I was serving God, but I was his enemy. I missed it. I was killing his family. I claimed that the living God was a blasphemer. But God poured out his love, not what Saul deserved, but what he was worthy of. And in a moment, faith was born inside of Saul, a faith that changed his life forever because God came and connected to him. And now Saul spent every day of his life from that moment on seeking after connection with the living God. And all of the perversion of truth that he'd been living with was corrected and was made true and straight because of the relationship that he had with God. He disconnected from the world that was around him through fasting, and he connected to God through prayer. That was the pattern of his life. And what Jesus did in him was to lead him into the fullness of the destiny, of the very purpose and the plans that he had for Saul when he created him, but that Saul had rejected and had gone against. And this is the, the thing, is that we can all identify with Saul. We can all look back and see how we, even though we were trying our best, we were disconnected from God, and so we had a perverted idea of what truth was. We missed the mark. We missed out on who Jesus is. We deserved punishment. But we were worthy of his love. He comes and He appears to us still today. And maybe He's doing that right now in your heart. Say that you're realizing that you've disconnected from God. Maybe you've never been connected to Him. Maybe you were connected, but you've allowed something to happen and now your faith is shrinking. Maybe you're like Peter right now and your faith is in peril and you're sinking down below the waters. All you have to do is reach up your hand. Jesus, help me. He'll stir up faith inside of you again. Maybe' even struggling because your your thoughts have become perverse because you've been looking at the world around you. you've been letting culture define truth. You've been letting culture define reality, empirical evidence. You've been looking at all of these other things to define what truth and reality is for you. And you weren't even trying to do it. You were honestly trying to pursue after God and truth, but it's become perverse because you were disconnected from the one who is truth. Jesus isn't here this morning to condemn you or to shame you about that. He's reaching out his hand, and he's saying, reach back up to me, grab my hand, and I'll breathe life into you. I'll let faith be born into you this very morning. You can connect with me. And just like I did with Saul, I'll give you a new identity. He went from Saul to Paul. He went from the persecutor of the church to the builder of the church. He went from the enemy of Jesus to the servant of Jesus. And what Jesus did in the life surrendered, in a life connected, in a life that was defining truth based on God's reality, was more than Saul could ever have imagined, more than he ever could have hoped of, more than he ever could have dreamed for. And Jesus is here to do the same in you this morning. Can you stand with me? This morning, if Jesus is speaking to you, don't harden your heart. Don't feel ashamed. Run to your Father. He's calling you. He's speaking life into you. He's building faith inside of you. Let's respond to him this morning. If it's the first time, maybe you've never made that decision, but this morning these words became beautiful to you. All it takes is saying, Jesus, Forgive me. Forgive my sins. From this day forward, I'm following after you to find truth for me, to find reality for me. I want to live every second of my life connected to you. I want to live every moment of my life knowing you, Jesus. When you do that, faith is born inside of you. You're a new creation. The old is gone and passed away and the new has come. You go from being Saul, the enemy of God, to Paul, the advocate of the church, the friend of God, the son, the daughter of God. That's the miracle he works in your heart in just an instant. Maybe maybe like Peter, you've just taken your eye off of God because of storms other things that have distracted you. Jesus calls you unbelieving and perverse not to condemn you or to shame you, but to call you back. And that's what he's doing this morning. Reach the hand up. God, save me. Forgive me. I'm coming back after you. And from this day forward, I'm following after you. I'm going to follow after you, Jesus. I'm going to connect through you in prayer. God, in Radiant Church, would you make us a people of prayer, a people who seek after you and your presence more than any other desire that we have. God, we want you. We want to know you. We want to know our Father. We want to know who we are as children. Jesus, we want to behold your glory. We want to see your beauty. Jesus, we want you. And God, would you give us the discipline to fast and the discipline to pray, to say that these other things aren't important to me. They've become too important in my heart, but I'm gonna cut things out so that I can come back to you, so that I can connect to you and disconnect from everything else around me. Jesus, I pray that in these 21 days where we're learning about prayer and fasting and seeking after you, that you would birth that inside of Radiant Church. God, that one day this room where we sit right now would no longer be the meeting place for our Sunday morning services, but that this would be the prayer center that we have for our city, that this would be the place where 24-7 there are people who are seeking after you. Jesus, prophetically we can see that in the future, that this is the place where the fire's kept burning before you, that this is the place where people gather to intercede for their city, that this is the temple where people come to seek after you and that the fire never goes out, and that out of this place of repentance and out of this place of prayer that we would see you come and that we would see you heal our land, Jesus, that you would stir up revival in the hearts. Oh, Jesus, revival in our hearts in Radiant Church a passion for you. Jesus, we're going to seek after you. We're going to pray, and we're going to fast. Stir up our faith, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer. Oh, we're going to do communion. We are way over, but we're going to do communion. So ushers are going to come and they're going to pass those elements out. I seriously thought this was a 15-minute message. God didn't just connect us to himself figuratively. He did it through a family as well. He says the church is the body of Christ Jesus. We've been that engrafted into him. And when we take communion together, we remember that that we've been made in the body of Jesus Christ. So, Joyce, is let's lead us to that chorus. We're just going to worship for a minute, pass these out, hold on to them, and we'll take communion together in just a sec. Oh, hell, King Jesus. Take the bread together. We remember that Jesus' body was broken so that we could be made whole. But we also remember that Jesus Himself is the bread of life. We take this and we eat it. We remember that our life is sustained by Jesus. We raise the cup we remember that Jesus shed his blood to atone for our sins. This isn't just the cup of atonement. This is the cup of victory. This is the cup that made him King Jesus. This is the cup that won our salvation. This is the cup that won our freedom. This is the cup that won the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And when we drink this together, we say hail to King Jesus the Lord of all heaven and earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your victory. We remember that the seed of the woman crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. That though the heel was bruised, he became our king. Jesus, thank you for this body. For every brother, for every sister that's here. And God, would you stir up that brotherly and sisterly love for one another. God, that we would have great mercy and compassion for each other. That we would speak great encouragement to each other. God, that we bring each other a holy conviction when it's needed. And God, that we would spur each other on to be those who pray and who fast and take hold of everything that you've called us to. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my uh, the usher is gonna pass around some buckets, and you can drop your cups in there. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. You know, be on the outsides here. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, we would love to see you pray. We see Jesus move miraculously in response to the prayers of His people every single week. Especially, listen, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today or, or to really pursue after Him, one of the best things that you can do is come tell that to someone and ask them to pray for you and encourage you because it's a long road that we walk and you need encouragement as you go down that road. If you're sick, and you need healing, come let us pray for you. If you need freedom, let us pray for you. Whatever it might be, wisdom, we see Jesus move all the time. We're the church, we're the people who pray. Come let us pray for you. If not, remember Thursday night, we have prayer here from 8 to 9 p.m. i encourage you to be here, it's powerful and awesome. Uh, you can sign up to be a group host for Breakthrough for six weeks, beginning February 18th. You can sign up for that online at radianta2.com or at the Inf- Guest Central, whatever we call it now. Uh, if none of those things, go drink some coffee, make some friends, be blessed next week, teaching on fasting. So I know you're super motivated to be back. Well, hopefully, yeah, there we go. Hopefully there's going to be new light and beauty to fasting, and it's going to help you develop a pattern and a love for fasting in your life. So see you next week. God bless.